Hi, you're listening to Andrew Farris on NXS Access All Areas with Hayden and B. Check it out. Welcome to Annexos Access All Areas. My name is Bee and I will be co-hosting this series of podcasts with my Annexos nerd Hayden Murdoch. We will be delving deep with you all to explore everything there is to know about this iconic band of brothers in excess, sharing music, tours, videos, albums, and oh, so much more. Well, hello. Welcome to Annexos Access All Areas, episode 56, the podcast designed deep to go deep and wherever no podcast goes before with Excess, uh, with a bunch of great community friends and fans, and also uh, with my lovely co-host, B. have mixed it up again. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, my lovely co-host, Hayden. Well, it's good to hear the spark back in your voice. Uh, another week of recovery, and uh, I guess in all areas of the word recovery in the family. And uh, you look well, you look better. You yeah. are getting a rock, a rock star sleep in these days, is that right? I, I do, yeah, <laughs> and a nap, a few naps a day. It's quite nice, actually. <laughs> You're getting a cup of tea brought into you in the morning. Well, you know, that's something that is missing in my life because my dad used to bring me a cup of coffee every morning. So I am missing my coffee, but I'm missing yeah. my dad more, obviously. But yes, tea yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. I must digress for a moment. And there was, a, I don't know, there was some show I was watching on Netflix a couple of years back and it was just that lovely English charm where, you know, any problem or drama in the world and somebody mm-hmm. was, you know, killed somebody or somebody was sleeping with somebody or somebody had driven off the road with whatever, it was all solved with a cup of tea. It is. It's too right. It is. It, <laughs> makes, it makes a day go a lot better with a cup of tea or two. Yeah. Well, we've both probably had busy and excess weeks, but I'll always, as manners suggest, go with you. How's your in excess week been? Well, I'm pretty excited about today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, look, we we are we look. You know, we we were pretty pumped today because today's the the day where we uh, get to uh, interview an illuminary from the band and uh, the leader of the band, Mr. Tim Ferriss. So we can't hold back in, uh, I guess, walking around with our. Um, uh, springs in our step, even yourself. Mm-hmm. You've got that spring back in your step. Oh, it's definitely been a good medication for me. Absolutely. Can't wait. Really looking forward to it. But I also had something come in the post today. I've had a few things come oh. in the post, but this was very, right. very exciting. Well, I had to tell someone off first. His name was Ronnie. And Ronnie posted in my Hutch Nation page um, about his book. Like, that, that's very charming <laughs> and that's very nice. But what's this book all about? And you didn't ask me about it. So um, he says, oh, well, I'll send you one. I says, I've got a podcast. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about it. So his name's Ronnie and he is, Ronnie is the publisher. And he's published a book for Andre, I've got to say this right, Chillag and David Wainwright. And they're two photographers. I'll just read you the first bit. During a hectic 1986 world tour, InXS took some time off to promote material from their Listen Like Thieves album in Montreux, Switzerland. The BBC ran a mini pop rock festival alongside the official Rose d'Or festival and recorded live but limp-synced <laughs> tracks of future broadcasts from the Montreux Casino. Amongst others, the lineup that year included Queen and Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Now, David and I were commissioned by a German magazine to capture this time in Montreux, and this photo zine documents the facts that while there in excess, work, work their collective butts off. And it goes on, and it's just a nice little 
intro, but it's just got some nice photos. I know it's not, it's no photos that we've not seen before. There's a few, but it's just nice to see them all together. And mm. it's nice to know that it's all going to the photographer. You know, is it in, the, black, is it in black and white? Yeah, it's lovely. It? It's all yeah, in black very... and white. It's really, really nicely done. It's not a big, big coffee table magazine. It's just a nice little flick through. And it's, if you're a collector of NXS, is memorabilia this this has got to be in your it's really nice isn't it yeah it's got to be in your collection so how to find them there's something uh, nostalgic about um i mean all types of photos obviously i mean Mm. photos are really steeped in nostalgia as 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 is but um those particular ones there that we may post and get some of the the listeners to get a visual on um do capture their youth and it's on the the precipice of a real superstar i guess around that time yeah Really nice, really nice yeah. photos. And then he sent me a little thing for Ronnie and saying that um, wants me to take a photo of it. So I'll take it. I might go down to the banana plantation and take a photo with the bananas later, <laughs> tomorrow maybe. Uh-huh. So if you want to get hold of these, um, you need to go to a company on the website called hangingaroundbooks.com. And they do other musicians as well not just in excess but um and are we looking to maybe get them on the show at some point in time who in excess photographers (laughs) or ronnie or the particular person who put it together is that what we're looking to do i would well you know i'd like to do a couple of series on photographers anyway Hmm. because there's a fair few out there but yeah, yeah it'd be nice if we could actually get hold of andre and david yeah, and look, our podcast is also, you know, as we often say, is designed to take you back in time and back to where things occurred and um, in excess probably are a, a legacy act these days in terms of not touring and recording so much anymore. So as much as we can take you back to these type of occasions with these people who are around, uh, it just does help the listener experience sort of, um, um, I don't know, put themselves in the place at the right time. <sighs> Also, too, kudos uh, last week to Mark Opitz for getting on and doing sort of, I guess, the the Live Baby Live or the Live Baby Live uh, deep dive, et cetera, there. We have a little bit of extra footage or, you know, audio for that particular interview. Um, again, I thank Mark for his patience. We did have a few sort of technical Wi-Fi issues. So we have sort of put the first probably two-thirds of it out, but we've got a couple of little nuggets and things that we've cleaned up a little bit through B's, um, well, I'll, I'll, we won't say George Martin. We'll, we'll call it her Mark Opitz uh, production skill. Again, he he was very endorsing to you, B, just about some of your editing and stuff you've put together on the show. And a compliment from him, I guess, is a compliment worth uh, worth having, isn't oh, it? Oh, Christ, yeah. I had to leave that <laughs> bit in. Thank you yeah. very much, Mark. That was really nice. Yeah. So, um, but it was, look, we've got uh, Wembley coming up in, you know, literally just over two and a half weeks' time or three weeks' time where uh, Mark and, and Nick Egan and Cameron Adams from the Herald Sun will all be on for a uh, 30-year retrospective. So we're pretty pumped about that. But uh, getting Mark on last week, and I thought it was, you know, quite, you know, an honest and and reflective sort of uh, episode where, you know, he sort of criticised a couple of things he felt he could have done better uh, on the recording, and I probably trying as hard, you know. I mean, I think mm. that's what he sort of gleaned, um, given what the time he did with the the Wembley gig. But I still think it's a, it's a great recording, and it's a great, um, you know, part of Inexcess's live arsenal because up until then we really didn't have anything. That reminds me. Did you see what I sent you this afternoon? Those two videos. 
Uh, but you send me a lot of things. <laughs> you send me a lot of things. <laughs> I feel it's like just all having clean, a, people. It's all clean. <laughs> I feel like having a stock reply, which is just basically pressing a button, Gosh. going which which one. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, all right, okay. So Mark mentioned uh, we were you were talking you two about um, live albums, and one of his fa- favorite was The Last Walls, uh, which was the yes, band yes, with yes. Um, yeah, 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 which is one of my dad's favorites actually yes. he's all-time favorite he'll, he'll sit through that every week dad mm. he loves it yeah. I'm, I'm going to play it to him tomorrow i can't wait and i just chose a random song that they sang and i put it out did you did you listen to your own i, I did listen back last week yes now, what was that, that song called yeah. release me i shall be released it's a bob dylan uh written song but it's been covered by many many people <laughs> yes and it kept echoing my mind and, and like i kept hearing it and hearing it i was thinking i've heard that before somewhere else and then i realized that michael and kirk sang it at the tokyo oh the big japan concert the there big that japan had, concert well, yeah well, with well, yeah, jovi and bob dylan and who was there Jody Mitchell. again yes wow yes. small <laughs> world people, yeah i've got all the songs that i could have chose and there was a link there straight back to um, in excess and i think we spoke during the week there was a some um, I don't know they're in a cafeteria or cafe or something like that where I think uh, Kirk is rehearsing that song with John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora mm. and a couple of others and mm. and then yeah that was the big sort of um, get everybody back on stage um, final sort of song of that big outdoor yeah. sort of uh, concert there in Japan which was great um, so but yeah lovely sort of story and I'm glad your dad likes that because it is a really really great tune yeah, and uh, great. you know. Stood the test of time. Yeah. Well, Laurie's found the footage, so we will have that onto the um, website maybe. All right. Well, I guess our podcast doesn't exist without these valuable people. And uh, I know, B, we actually have two new people to welcome to the patron family. So I thought I would throw to you and uh, let you do the uh, introductions to them. We've got Val Dorset from England, who used to be um, a big friend of Paula Yates's. She's, yeah, yeah. And she's been following the podcast a, a long time, actually, and she just loves us. So welcome, Val. That's lovely to have you on board. And a guy called Stefan. So we'd like to know more about Stefan. So um, I'm sure you'll get all your details to carry on for us. And we'll I think Stefan out- might be from Europe, huh? What do you reckon? I, I, I reckon. Oh, you might Sweden? be from Liverpool. Sweden? <laughs> <laughs> but All I'd right. love to send you both out packs, so make sure you carry on and get your addresses. Welcome, Val. Welcome, Stefan. It's great to have you with us. I'd like to say hello to everybody outside on the highway. Let's all say hello to everybody outside. It's about 10,000 people at least. Hello. And a massive hello to Nick Egan and Mark Opitz, and Sue D, Joe Robbins, Paul Boozy, Pedro, Lisa Urban, Foxy, Felicia, Sarah Markram, Laurie, Carmen, Matt Dean, Mandy, Linda, Danielle, Dr. Jim, Amanda, Leon, David, Sarah Akamia, Melissa, Anne-Marie, Lisa Calloway, Lisa McIntosh, Katie, Carrie-Anne, Vern, Caroline, Paul Jolie, Sandrine, Tracy, Tony, Warren, Sue B, Sue P, Amanda, Ella, Ryder, Erica, Abigail, and Martin. Oh, and I'd like to talk about a guy that um, emailed us later, but that I'll save that for fan engagement. Guess what uh, time is it that, is now, Hayden? Is what it, time is it, Hayden? Well, just before that, is that the guy from Kintyre? Is it the Mull of Kintyre? <laughs> is that right? I don't know 
if that's the same thing. No, he's from the Isle of Mole. Isle of Mole. Oh, my, 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 po- you get, you want to my poor McCartneyisms are coming out here, but uh, yes, you're right. It is time for. It's time for the news. Hi, it's Dave from England, and you're listening to In Excess Access All Areas with Hayden and B. And now it's time for the news. All right, well, we're going to be punching with the news today. We do have a special guest on, so we don't want to have us be the ones you're listening to. But uh, we will highlight a couple of things just to keep you abreast of the NXS world. Uh, Oz charts, well, at the time of recording, we don't have a change. So, B, uh, I know you're the lucky charm. It went from 52 to 44. We, we'd like to think uh, over the next day or two when those charts come out, it will go into the, into the 30s. But uh, uh, at this point of recording, we have no change. Um couple of little things. Uh, Andrew has been posting, as we said in last week's episode, some information about some of the tracks off his solo album. I think there was a little uh, download or a post through all the platforms that Andrew's on about the song song, uh, Hummingbird, B. So I know that's a a song and a little word you like. Um, But uh, Andrew, as we said last week, he's just giving a little bit of a backdrop to some of the, the songs and um, nerds like me like that sort of stuff, you know, where you find out, you know, what was the inspiration and all those things. Uh, and it's the hummingbird that's going around on the B side, I think. Well, it could be. It could I reckon. Be. You're doing it. You're doing a sort of a do very. Do you like that? Do you like that? You're doing a hypnotic <laughs> thing with your finger there, B. <laughs> um, also, to uh, came across my in excess desk. Uh, YVR Times is a Vancouver sort of newspaper or publication. Uh, there is a sort of a March 22 uh, publication that I didn't see at the time, but uh, it's actually a really good interview with Andrew about the solo album and also about his in excess sort of pedigree and all the songs that he wrote and recorded. And uh, uh, it is worth doing yourself a favour. Um, I have cut and pasted it to my email and I will attempt to do something very revolutionary, B, and that is post it no. uh, onto our platforms. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> if it ends up in Alaska or, or uh, Siberia, um, uh, you'll know why, but uh, I'm going to see if I can do that and yeah. add that to the uh, listener uh, viewing experience and read that. Wow, you're stepping up quite a lot now, hey? We are. Um, now, speaking of the birthday boy, as we said last mm. week, uh, coming into G-G-B. this week. GGB, yes. GGB, Gary Gary Beers. Uh, I don't have a stutter there for those who don't know Gary Gary. But uh, mm. it's his birthday this week. But he has set up a bass guitar oh, side I business. Clever and there's, man. A, there's, there's an interesting sort of word these days in the sort of gig economy. They call it like a side hustle. Now, it sounds a little mm. bit sort of, uh, you know, KGB, sort of uh, Leo, Leo the Watch King type thing. But no, uh, Gary, Gary has designed and made these beautiful, beautiful oh, bass guitars. Stunning, stunning. And, and his first series, I think, of 10 have come out and he has posted them on a, a Facebook, almost its own sort of platform and its own, its own Facebook page. Uh, but they look fantastic. You know, they're really well designed, the colours, the the uh, the um, uh, work that's gone into them. So uh, do yourself a favour. If you punch into Facebook, Gary Gary Beers, uh, bass guitar, uh, I'm sure that platform or that page will come up. And I know that's already aroused some interest from our community and the NXS community, B. Mm, it's a lot of people interested. I think there may be a guy called Adam that's interested. Correct, correct. Mm. Uh, and speaking of Adam, is there an Adam from uh, the Don't Change gang that has hung well, up his? Yes, and is he's this the going, same Adam? He's sidestepping, actually. Sidestepping. Mm. Adam Pika, is that right? Yeah, Pika. 
He's a really nice. I like Adam. He's, now he's in actually, the Don't Change gang, but he's been playing a lot of Kirk stuff, I think, hasn't he, over the journey? Mm, but he sidestep step into another tribute band for Alana Morissette. Oh, okay. So, yeah, he, uh, I think, put out a lovely post about just thanking all the fans who went to all the shows over the yeah. journey. And um, uh, kudos to him. And um, speaking, I guess, of Tribute Acts B, there is some in excess Tribute Act coming to Coffs Harbour. Can you believe Where- <laughs> it? I know. <laughs> well, uh, I think it's, is it Live Baby Live, guys? Uh, yeah, I've not seen show? these ones before. Wow. Uh, is Karen Peters going to be... Uh, 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 cheating on the Don't Change gang and heading up the highway to join you there. No, but I'm going to convert every friend in Coffs Harbour <laughs> to go with me. <laughs> we, we want footage live streamed into our community B. Yeah, live uh, from the Hoey Moey. Correct, correct. But um, uh, And also the last thing, uh, probably this has been going on for a few months, but I've just sort of noticed we actually have a newsletter that goes out. You to haven't. No, it's only, we've only had two go out so far. Well, that's right. I saw the second one going, this might be a theme happening here. Can you, do you want to share with the listeners what that newsletter is aiming to do? I thought we'd whack it in the news <laughs> section here. Why not? <laughs> okay. So I've um, got a lovely girl called um, Danielle from Pepsi Cola. Yes. Um, little Pepsi. And uh, she is being very helpful with Mary Woods and they've produced a newsletter for us so it's for all our in excess lovers out there and if you subscribe to the website you will get this coming into your inbox once a week so we just put little things out there like get your um, questions out for Timmy or the latest um, things that auctions and all sorts of things Um, I'm going to tell you a little bit more later on yep. um, of an idea I've had. And, uh, yeah, so. If Is this you weekly to- it's coming out or fortnightly? or Once, once a week. Once right. a week. Beautiful. Well, thank you, Danielle, and, and great idea putting them together, B. So it puts sometimes with so many little things in so many different areas, I guess, it, it sort of brings everything into one place, I guess, doesn't it? Yeah. I'm sorry, Hayden. I'll probably tell you and it gets lost in all that information <laughs> that I send you. <laughs> right. Well, it's handy for a guy like me. So, uh, But that's News of the Week. Punchy this week and uh, bigger things to talk about today. Thanks, Pete. Okay. This is Ella from Middleburg, the Netherlands. You're listening to In Excess, Access All Areas with Hayden and B. And now it's time for the topic of the week. Gotta play that riff to me. I said play the fucking riff to me. Excuse me. I've been in Paris. First of all, we'll say welcome, Tim Ferriss, to In Excess Access All Areas. The first time we have dove deep on getting a band member on, so welcome aboard. <laughs> Thank you very much. Only so two, nice to be here. Only two rules. Uh, feel free to take the piss at any time and okay. have a good time. All right. Yeah. Not not too much of the piss. <laughs> Hello, Tim. Hello. How B. are you? B. I, I'm molto bene, grazie. Oh, nice. <laughs> well, I've got my drink. <laughs> oh, oh, nice. 
I've got mine. We, we don't quite uh, know how much you've uh, researched us. And obviously, we've researched the nth of you, probably to the degree where we may know more about you than you know about yourself, which is a bit scary. For you, probably more than me. <laughs> we have uh, done 55 podcasts thus far, um, and oh. we feel like we're getting a bit of momentum now. And last week, we had uh, a good friend of yours, Mark Opitz, on for the second time. Really? Mark? Uh, he, yeah. He, he speaks highly of you guys. Um I, I ran into Mark um, at Chris's funeral and um, yeah. he was saying he, he was really impressed and thought you guys are the real deal and he said he had nothing but good things to say about you. Which is, well, look, we made him an honorary uh, patron based upon his uh, two or three visits on the podcast, so that helped. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, but he, look, he's been very kind to us and um, loves talking about music, so I guess that's a good starting point that he's quite passionate about his craft and you know the you know the year that he operated in, and um, still seems to have the the spring in the step. You know. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. He's always good fun to talk to. We. Yeah. He's been well, very helpful for this show as well, though, hasn't he? That's good. And another kind soul who uh, probably gave B and us a little bit of a confidence boost about thirty episodes ago was uh, Nick Egan, who speaks very highly of you. <laughs> oh, Nick, eh? Yes. Yeah. And look, he, he <laughs> Too much um, Duran Duran fan. What? 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 Well, he has that wear nice too. The day he was supposed to be on, I was, I think, recording, but you might have been working, I think, for the part of that interview. And mm. uh, he got on a little bit late and he said, Look, I'm really, really sorry. I was at uh, John Taylor's house. We've been working on some yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. That'd be right. Duran Duran. <laughs> yeah. And Rain I was thinking, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was thinking. I, was, I was just. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if he was working it's on some hard, more. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> he might have been working on some more pastel sort of Rio film clip uh, covers or something like that. You know. <laughs> uh, yeah. But yeah, he look. He's been very kind, and look in, in about two weeks' time for your which he's you a very kind man. Of, pardon. He's a very kind man. Yeah, yeah. Nicky, yeah, very. Yeah, he he was uh, fantastic. And look, he he's coming on in two weeks' time. We have Mark and Nick together, and myself and B, and we have a, a journalist from the Herald Sun here in Melbourne, who's the ch- chief musical uh, reporter for the Herald Sun, called Cameron Adams, who's a big fan of you and the band. Right. And we're doing a 30th anniversary uh, retrospective uh, Zoom call, talking about Wembley. And I guess of Nick course, and Mark. Wembley, July. Yeah, Mark and Nick were there, um, obviously in their roles. And they, through just our prior episodes, have spoken so highly about the experience and what it was like. They're going to get on and... try and track down Peter Lorimer too. He was there. Peter Lorimer. Who's that? (laughs) Oh, really? He's DJ. Uh, Uh He did some remixes for us. Oh, yeah. Suicide Blonde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Uh, Lorimer uh, remixes and things. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the Uh, X-Time. Yep. He was handing out... Things to Michael and I side stage. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That in between uh, yeah. margaritas. Was I had it? a very good time that night on stage. A couple, a couple of M&Ms. Um, <laughs> yeah, like, something like that. Yeah, no, well, white ones, though. No, look, we, we we sincerely hope you enjoy today and, and feel like at some point in the future you can come on. And, and I know probably down the track you've got probably more things you'd love to talk about and share as do, time, yeah. time allows. Um, so we don't feel like we need to do a, a um, Roger Clemson, This Is Your Life uh, today. We'd probably just like to ta- tack a few things just uh, about you and the band. And it's going to be a Michael-free zone. It's going to be uh, a, a lot about you and just your involvement and just your experiences. So we'd like to do that with uh, each of the band members if they uh, choose likewise to come on. Sure, but, that uh, sounds good. Yeah. One of the things I guess 
through listening to Andrew recently in a lot of his interviews was just, he seemed to say that um, your father and mother particularly were quite encouraging with music at a young age. I think you went over to, to England, I think, to see the Beatles, uh, caught the boat oh. over. Well, well that was... you went especially to see the no, Beatles, did you? So, <laughs> right. Hey, let's be too much. Hey, listen, don't let the facts get in the way of that story. Go to England. <laughs> We're going to go see the Beatles. Yeah. Um, it was a very long voyage on a ship too, I might add. Did yeah. you go on a um, ship? But, but yeah. Johnny was only two, so, right. you know, I doubt he remembers that much. No. But he, and he'd just broken his leg. So it was, honestly, it was his two-year-old. Johnny, was, Johnny broke a leg at two. Yeah, he ran into a fruit and veggie truck. Well, it ran into him. Um, the primary school was opposite our house where yeah. we lived. And um, Andrew and I were in, in school. And my, my classroom, I sat next to a window. I don't know why they sat me next to a window, right next to a window that looked at my house, like directly. So I would sit there instead of concentrating in, in class, just daydreaming about being back home, playing with my car set or whatever, you know. And I, I saw our, our puppy dog run across the road. Then I saw our mother running across the road to chase the puppy dog. And then I saw little Johnny come running towards the road. Then I saw a fruit and veggie truck come along. And the next thing I saw mum frantically upset and waving her arms around and Johnny was lying in the gutter and oh my uh, God. he was in a pretty bad way for a, for a little kid. So, yeah. So he was... He was still a, had his leg in a plaster from memory when we got on the ship to sail to England. Wow. So we got on the ship in um, Fremantle, Western Australia, and obviously sailed to Southampton. And uh, that, that was some of my very strong early memories, especially yeah. leaving, going to visit little Johnny in the hospital and, and leaving, you know, to say, and having to say goodbye. But that was nothing to do with him having the operation later on in life. No. He's that's that's different altogether. Him having an operation later in life? Yeah, he doesn't even knee neck. after kick, knee, maybe, I think. Knee, the knee injury. That might have been wear and tear, I think. Yeah, oh. I don't think he had an operation as such. Oh, okay. Yeah. But he did have um knee problems. Yeah. Knee problems. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know if that's related, to be honest. You don't but anyway, so to cut a long story even shorter, if I can, <laughs> which because I've t- only intended to make it really long. So where, where are we half yeah, an hour? Yeah, I know. You know, we've only got. Two. <laughs> hey, listen, listen. We're, we're half. We're, we're crossing the Maldives. We're on the way to Southampton, and you got there, That's and right. then collective. Yeah, we're, 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 we're nearly. You actually, nearly met Kirk yet? No, that's, yeah, that's years away. So we were sailing up the Suez Canal, which I remember really clearly. And Johnny went missing. Oh, he, you know, he, he was nothing but trouble on a ship He's with a broken a problem, he wasn't he? Problem child. Yeah, we thought he was over, overboard. But anyway, he wasn't. Thank God. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> um, and, um, yeah, and we happened to be there and we were, went to the Rolf Harris show, as it turns out. Yep. Mm. My aunt was friends with Rolf Harris. And, and, uh, it was from Perth as well. Yes, exactly. Icewater, I think, yeah. Yeah, and the Beatles were on the show, so that's how we come came to see them and... Met uh, met them and what I, I remember. I only remember meeting George Harrison, but um, that may be just because I don't know why. Uh, John Lennon's always been my favourite, although I do love George Harrison. Yeah. As in but, later on, you met George Harrison. You said. Yeah. Well, there I think. Oh, okay. In the dressing room. So, how old were you then? I would have been um, six. And you remember it? Oh, wow. Yeah. Well. I don't remember at all. 
Yeah, um, but I remember enough to like bring back yeah. all these memories. It's great. Yeah, yeah exactly. Awesome. Did you go to Birmingham? Uh, not, not then. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember going to Birmingham. He went there to, he went there to <laughs> beat up a. He went there to beat up a five-year-old Simon Le Bon back then. <laughs> 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 yeah. But yeah, um, no. would he have been fine? Yeah. Well, you know, approximately. But he, I think he's fifty-eight. Uh, right. Oh. You're, you're okay. fifty. You're 50. We don't need to tell anybody okay. how old yeah. Tim is. Right. Thank we'll, you very we'll much. On. No, that's a Thank good you. Point. Okay. Well, we are in. We, 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 Gary always starts off the NXS run of June, July, August birthdays. You have quite a little batch around each other. Yes, I just send him a long uh, email. <laughs> still him still the oldest in the band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah, yes. that's right. It means mine's coming up. So, he's looking younger, though, isn't he, these days? Is he? I don't know. I. <laughs> I don't notice that sort of thing. LA Sun. Yeah. Yeah. Doctors. I'm melting in the sun. I guess growing up, you know, we've seen the miniseries and heard the sort of anecdotes and things, but from a musical sort of side of things, your parents were were probably had uh, uh, reasonably patient ears letting you guys jam away in the garage and uh, uh, allow you to hone your craft. Is that fair? Yeah, very fair. More, in fact, um, more patient and tolerant than I probably am. Yeah. Um, I, I, having lived with one drummer, that's enough for me. You know, um, <laughs> I, I couldn't live with another one, but, which uh, I sometimes feel guilty about because my son James really wanted to be a drummer, but I, there was just nowhere in the house where we could really have a drum kit. And mm. We had we had our main house when the kids were growing up was a was a a stunning house, but it was very 50s. It was all glass and sandstone and natural surfaces like, you know, Travertine. It was a 50s house. Hmm. Um, it was a, a, an amazing design, but it was any drums anywhere would have been really loud and we had hmm. highly intolerant neighbours and I did not have to deal with them. And I had, I, fair, I mean, I did have a soundproof studio, but it was full of my stuff you know? hmm. um, and I didn't really want to share it. Tiny little bit um, selfish there. I know, but that, you know. <laughs> that, 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 that. So, so did they pick up any instruments, the boys? Yeah, well, well, our father. Before we get on to my kids, our yes. father made sure we all could, you know, had picked up an instrument by the time we were eight. Mm. So, for me, he gave me the choice of um, a guitar or trombone, mm. and fortunately, I chose the guitar. Yes, I'm glad you did too. <laughs> I practiced a few sexy moves with the trombone. It just didn't work. <laughs> Can't pick her up enough. <laughs> well, there, there may have been a bit of a clash of spots there with Kirk uh, had his way then coming in with the, with his own brass instruments. And well, that's stuff. right. Exactly. You know, would, have, because... would have stolen his media time. <laughs> well, yeah. That Camera time. Thing. But, I mean, Kirk used to follow us around the house. He was learning to play the saxophone when he was, he was already well in, yes. in excess. And we lived together and he wouldn't, you know, practising in his room wasn't enough for him. He had to come out into the kitchen or, <laughs> or that. So i go into the living room, he'd follow me into the living room. You know, <laughs> and, like, you know, badly played saxophones are uh, not pleasant. So, that, so and, you know, Andrew got piano lessons 
and uh, he sort of taught himself to play guitar. And Johnny was always going to play drums. Um, and Dad sort of drummed in the Merchant Navy, um, so he sort of taught Johnny, you know, the basics, you know, how to paradiddle and oh, okay. those kind of things. And uh, from there, John got a John got a drum kit, and, that, and then we, you know, we basically moved to Sydney and. Not long after that, and that's when I met Kurt. So your mum wasn't musical, but your dad had no. a touch of musical through the Navy. Exactly. Not digressing too much, just with John there. I mean, you must be particularly proud as an older brother. He He's really world-renowned, maybe not in the big media scribes, but everyone you'd speak to, you go, he, he's world-class. Like he he joined, what, Toto at the Night of the Proms just to fill yeah. in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Stuff like that over the journey. Like, he's really... Talented. Great. Yeah, <laughs> really he, he is an, I mean, look, you just have to listen to drum opera actually yeah. to yeah. really appreciate okay. his whole grasp on drumming. It's way beyond just keeping time. But that's one of the amazing things about Johnny is he has a natural timekeeping ability anyway. He just, he has an internal clock that's that's incredible, which a lot of a lot of drummers simply don't have. Yeah. Um, and the ironic thing about that is Johnny loved to play with sequences, not so much to keep time, but because he couldn't play everything at once. So, yeah. and in order to get um, the songs as realistic, because we'd use drum machines to write with, um, and quite often we'd keep them, you know, in the track uh, in the studio because. It sounded good. Mm. Um, and it doesn't just, sound dated like those click tracks in the 80s and the snare and stuff. It doesn't yeah. sound bad. Well, like some of that yeah. stuff is aged badly now. Yeah, some of it has. Some of it's... Not in excess. Uh, I'm talking about other bands. Yeah, yeah no, I agree. But, yeah. but yeah, but some, some of it still sounds... If the, if the artist and the producer's got it right, I still think sounds a lot of the 80s sounds are amazing. Yeah. yeah. And they're, they're much used today. Yeah. Um, and and lauded, you know, and for good reason, you know. And the '80s was a very, very good time for for music creation because people synthesizers went from leaps and bounds, and and you know, guitar effects and the whole the whole world. You know, drum machines became loops. Yeah, and, record and companies back it, then. Eh? Record companies back then invested in bands for five albums. You know, that's right. You know, they had they had uh, artist development too. Yeah. Which they really lack a lot of these days. Yeah, small labels more than big ones. And and look, obviously moving ahead a little bit. You uh, and recently I've gone back just you know as we do research a little bit. But I know Nile Rogers through his uh, I think the the uh, Adventures in the Land of the Groove or it's one Good of the albums. Good Groove was one of the things here. Well, I think I've been playing a bit recently with Yum Yum and a few of the tracks and stuff. Oh really? And. I know that was that really sort of connected with you in the early days to then obviously lead itself to working with Niall. Um, uh, is he still a hero? Because I love I love what he does. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And he's a really t- unreal guy. Look, I, I think I discovered Niall through through Diana Ross, funnily enough, like Upside Down and Which loving wrote, that yeah. guitar and that track. Yeah. You know? And then from there, then I was really impressed to hear you know, I could hear him in the Madonna stuff, and then I could hear him in um, uh, Bowie's Let's Dance, you know, and that was like, whoa, you know, this this Nile dude. And, I, and I'd always been a fan of Chic. We were on the on the road in the US, and I'd heard he'd made a solo album, and uh, you know, 
I got I bought the cassette and uh, I'd put it on. Well, we we were always having wars on the tour bus about <laughs> who puts what on. And if you can get a record on that lasted more than sort of three or four tracks, or someone else to go, all right, let's get rid of this and listen to this. And, you know, you were lucky. And funnily enough, Niles, our In the Land of the Good Groove, no one took it out of the machine. Everyone kept listening to it. And and it was, you know, we all dug it. And then, you know, meeting him backstage at uh, Maple Leaf, it was called the Maple Leaf Gardens at the time in Toronto, in Canada. Um, backstage, uh, I mean, I, I didn't even know he was there. And Michael came over to me and said, Timmy, there's someone you should meet. Um, and he came and grabbed me and there there was not, you know. And I was like, oh, whoa. whoa. Um, so it was like, what what are the chances of this happening? And it was, so it was destined when we went to the studio, we, we kind of worked on Original Sin in Florida. You know, Andrew and Michael was sort of writing it on, on the road. And we, we had it sort of pretty much ready to go and we did it all in like two days in the power station in, um, in New York, which was where, and he was working on um, an album with uh, Hall & Oates at Electric Ladyland Studios and that's how Daryl Hall came over and did some backups. Um, and then we ended up going on the road touring with Hall & Oates as well. And And... People don't quite always realise it these days, but they were the biggest act in the world in terms of a duo at that time. Oh, so yeah. For, so for Daryl to lend his Philly soulful sort of vocals on a up-and-coming band was such a mm. such a great thing. It was. It was a real <laughs> boost for us too. We were like, yeah, man, this, this rocks. You know, we were yeah. like totally, totally stoked. Um, yeah. It was, um, it was, it was really cool, you know, and we yeah, uh, I mean, like, as you say, you know, they were they were really big, especially in the US. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it was a- myth, myth or fact? W- was that set up for him to produce more in excess? Because there's a myth saying, "Oh, in excess," sort of just turned up and said, "Can you produce us?" Or did Chris organise it? Was a bit more co- cohesively organised the actual production, or was with it a bit own? more? Yeah, with oh, no, literally it happened because we we met in in Toronto and we, and he was, he was at the gig, loved the gig. Yeah. Um, the way things happened for us a lot was through live, but that's been our whole career story. You know, yeah. people see us live and go, shit, you know, yeah. I'd love to sit, get these guys in the studio. So he was like more, he was, Niall was like, when we met him, he was like, yeah, man, we, you know, if you guys are coming to New York, you know, we should get in the studio and do something together. So we just made it happen. We said, we said, okay. Mm. We'll show up, you know. And, yeah. and, and he's such a he was such a victim of the disco sucks era because Chief yeah. had like a three year window, and then it was like he was spat out like you know the Bee Gees, and then he comes back and does that solo album. Then he does Madonna, you know, uh, In Excess. He does um, Bowie, and then does Duran Duran like all in a row. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, he did Duran Duran got on the bandwagon late. Yeah. Am I? yeah. Well, he, I think my side was a bit Sorry, jealous after, after hearing you guys. <laughs> he rubbed that one in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe, yeah. but but you know that 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 was um, that that was the an interesting time, as you say. But but you know he's he's sound guitar sound. You know, I mean now it's so funny, but um, you know now it's been it's he's more popular than ever. Mm. Yeah. We well, came back with Daft, Daft Punk and um, yeah. you know the stuff with that, and cool. you know I guess over the journey the songwrites for everybody he's done with yeah Pharrell and everybody's been been fantastic. 
you know, I saw him out here in Australia too and went and saw his show at the Metro and uh, he was doing book signings after the show and, uh, you know, I walked up. What were you doing, queuing up to get an, an autograph? No, no, I just walked up and he was like, get the fuck out of here, man. What, you know, <laughs> it was like, it was great. It was really, uh, oh, I, I didn't cool. even introduce myself. He was just, you know, he just stood up and was like, yo. Well, so he, it was really nice to see him. Yeah. You know, now I, I know you're too modest to be called the good guy of rock and roll, Tim, so we, uh, we're we going to cut that out of the <laughs> edit, all right? But, <laughs> but, but one thing I wanted to just mention. Yeah, why does everyone love you so much? Oh. Why is that? <laughs> he doesn't want to answer that. That's why. Does he? Does he know? He's seen the, the film The Good Guys. You know, they're actually gangsters. You know? oh, so yeah. maybe that's what it is. They're afraid not to like me. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> what, what, look, and I cook a mean pasta sauce. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, uh, one of the things that, uh, you know, being a, a nerd and, and, and have dived deep from a very young age following you guys is that I think in nearly every interview, any publication, anything that goes on, anyone you hear about who meets you guys, you've never been a band to put others down, you know, for the sake of putting yourself up. You know, I think um, a lot That's of producers, producers and things like that, you've always supported Australian music. You brought bands along like the Killjoys and even UMI and all those bands to the uni club tour and you've always given back, I think, in many, many ways. Um, and I Try think to, sort of, yeah. yeah, I think globally, you know, people have always had really positive things to say. And I think obviously as you've been the leader of the band, I think back from the early days of managing some of the gigs in Perth and stuff, but um, is that some, yeah, is that something that you look on with a bit of pride, just how the yeah, legacy of very much, very much. I mean, when I look back, you know, Kirk's always been the diary keeper, but I actually kept the first two diaries oh. from 77 and 78. And I just found them the other day. Yay! When we moved, yeah, it's wow. pretty awesome. You're giving them to the podcast, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> well, classified. Yeah, I should, we should give them to a psychiatrist, actually. <laughs> but, but there's some very interesting stuff in there. But I look back and it was really interesting because you could see, like, how I was working and, what I was doing, I had all these agents, phone numbers and venues and I just, I just, you know, worked the room, you know. Um, I, I put it all together and organised everything from the, us all moving to Perth to renting the house there to getting us the, all, every gig there and How did you do that, Tim? Did you just follow your nose and just go with intuition or did you read upon anything or like? No, pretty much just follow my nose. Just I just dived in the deep end and and just had that, I just had that commitment and I guess I had that belief that we could do it. And I also had this, I had this thing that, that if you dive in the deep end, you, you have to learn to swim you know, or you'll drown. It, so can I, I just and, say, because we've had that attitude all along. Yeah. Well, there's a couple of people. There's a, there's a lady called Sarah and said, what was it that drove you with that belief and determination to succeed? Well, it was, it was, we, I wanted to put us in a situation where we didn't have a choice. So um, in other words, you know, if you don't put your head on a chopping block, you'll never find out if the axe is going to fall or not. But fortunately it didn't. Uh, I guess that's probably bad metaphor to use but but it it was it was more like I I promised the guys that that they would they could leave their jobs and their families and we'd make a living from music well we nearly did to begin with but 
um, we still had to be on the dole a bit and had mm. to sell drugs <laughs> um, for, for a while. But but most, for the most part in Perth, we we live purely on the music, you know. Yeah. And, and I guess and with like Andrew, that. you know, we talked about John earlier. I mean, Andrew's, you know, songwriting is um, genius, you know, Beatlesque and world class. Right? But the irony, I guess, along the way. He's catching just, up. Huh? He's catching up. He's catching up. I mean, look, the reality is for him, if the miniseries, which you guys obviously had a, quite a role in producing, et cetera, there is to be sort of gone about, he really needed a lot of encouragement to almost believe in himself and it, didn't he? You know, yeah. I guess oh, yeah, Andrew. Yeah. Funnily enough, Andrew really, for the most part, really did. And, and in fact, he's never had he's never had the kind of self-belief and, I guess, self-confidence ever that he had until now, which is really weird. Yeah. yeah, for having you know climbed that mountain and got to got over it, if you if you know what I mean. Mm. But but for the most part, you know, Andrew was pretty comfortable, I think, to be you know to be the songwriter and and being sort of unconfident in a way made him more open to suggestions because you know we all we all kind of put in when it came to you know Andrew. A lot of Andrew's songs were pretty basically written when he'd come to the band with them. So, you know, from that point of view, our input was really important as well. So you brought like and a skeleton gave, in and you're able to put your meat. Exactly. Your, and you that know, gave us on. all a feeling like, well, our, our contributions were, were a lot, you know. Cool. Well, we, we yeah. found like when we've, one of the things we've done in the podcast, B, I think is we've, we've put certain songs on, et cetera, there, and we've sort of taught the listeners who uh, are checking in to sort of isolate each band member. And there's so many great songs particularly where each band member is, it's, it's almost like an episode of Seinfeld. Every character gets their their part of the episode. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. yeah, and but for that, that that caused somewhat, it was good, but it was, it was kind of a conflict of, of emotions and rationale in some ways because I, I'd write music that I wasn't sure I really wanted in excess to play and I didn't want to comp- – I, I thought it was better, like, my favourite bands and artists had predominant songwriters and that, that succeeded. And I knew we would be, like, as Chris Thomas pointed out and Mark Opitz, that concentrating on that would bring us better songs. Mm. So I really didn't want to – I didn't want to compete against that and for that reason. And so in many ways I would sort of hold off on presenting songs I'd written. Mm. Um, so most of my stuff, while I, I still really enjoy it, is, is for me kind of throwaway. Mm. That makes sense. Mm. Um, because I, I didn't want any of what I really believed I could write to, to not make it or compete with Andrew and I don't think in excess sort of had self-indulgent three-minute solos and things like that. Like you know, uh, no, yeah. Uh, well, we always made fun of those. You know? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah. But look at a song like "What You Need" and and "Original Sin" or whatever. You know, you can hear Gary's you know bass and you can hear your guitars and Kirk and the saxophone and and Michael's breathy vocals. I mean, they, I think the song gets served first. But one of the great things to having a sextet is that certain songs really have that you know, palette of really lovely sounds that all come together. That's know? it. You know? Well, that's um, it. See, for, for me, I was never never interested in being a soloist and, and making music. I mean, apart from when I first learned to play guitar as a, as a 
child on classical guitar. You know, I performed solo then at my school and things like that. But when it came to modern music, I was, uh, it was all about the combination of instruments and, and like Kirk and I playing together to me was what it was all about rather than just one person singing. You know, I've never really been much of a fan of, of going to a place and seeing some guy with a guitar play and sing, you know. I'm always a little bit like, I I like the interaction between instruments and I'm also very much about the rhythm. And and so for me, while I play a lot of the riffs, it's how the riffs are played and and the rhythm that's involved um, that really, you know. Well, yeah, I mean, that takes us to sort of uh, how you, Kirk and Gary work together live. Well, can I ask a question before you ask that, please? Well, okay. Fine with me. (laughs) All right. Well, there's a question from Lisa Urban, and she asks about the song Coming Home. She wants you to spill it. What's that all about? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, Well, why are you blushing? What's going on? Yeah, yeah, there was. I was always fishing on the road. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it was kind of, it was a little bit inspired by that song. by a band called Yellow, you know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. and um, and then the guys in the band were really, and it, it was just just this guitar part that I wrote and rhythm stuff, and the, the the guys in the band really loved it, and Johnny and and Gary really wanted, and Kurt really wanted to play on it, and Andrew, so we all ended up playing on it, and then Michael sang backups on it and stuff. Hey. It just sort of grew organically out of. Out of nothing, but there's actually a few versions of that song lying around. Um, to be honest, I don't actually really remember. I remember recording it in Chicago with the guys, yeah. Um, but the machinations of it are a little bit hazy. Chris Murphy was quite um, encouraging of the other band members if they weren't necessarily putting the major song rights on some of those albums between Kick and Welcome to be really heavy on the B sides and stuff like that. Yeah, that was kind of our thing, you know. The, Back in the day when there were B-sides, they were. we always thought, well, it would be kind of neat to, to do something really different and make them really quirky, mm. Um, mm. you know, just to show our quirky nature and the band sort of from our sense of humour to to just... The commercial side and the non-commercial yeah, side. E- yeah, exactly, and just sort of show that we, we had... Um, there was another side to us that we didn't mm. take ourselves too seriously, mm. even though in many ways we did. It was, I guess it came from hearing, you know, all those things that like, you know, the Paul McCartney being dead conspiracy things and and uh, all those quirky things the Beatles would do and stuff like that. You know, we wanted to, you know, Kirk and I would off, often listen to some really out there things. Like I remember uh, the band The Ladidars did, uh, did an album where they narrated a story all the way through. I can't remember what it was called now. Kurt might remember. But it was some story about a bird, I think, or something. It was like a fairy tale or something. And it was all music with, the, with you know, the singer Jim Keyes, I think it was. Oh, yeah. uh, Pre-Master's like, Apprentices, I think, was it? Or? Oh, yeah, no, that was Master's Apprentices. Yeah, what was the singer's name from the Lady Does before Kevin Borich? Anyway, whatever. Yeah. But he narrated right. the story. And it was, we loved it, you know. Yeah. So... We, we thought, well, you know, it'd be nice to try and do just different, whatever we can to be different. 
Well, Actually, this, can, yeah. oh, sorry, sorry can, you go back. You go yeah, back. just yeah. just because I'm just following on for what Tim said there about conspiracy theories. Um, is it true or is it not true about um, the Oasis elegantly wasted thing? Please, you know, put, to put be honest, the record straight. Yes, but to be honest, <laughs> I actually don't know. Oh. Um, it, there you go. Folks. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> it's possible that Michael sang better than Oasis in the studio, hmm. but. Unlikely. Well, uh, I guess they. Put, I think he just rolled with it. I think, I think he just went along with it. Like, yeah, I reckon he did. You know, like, like, well, I yeah. guess with the vocals, they have like layers, don't they? Of vocals where there's, you know, two or three or four tracks that get laid down, and that could have been one of them. Uh, yeah, maybe, but that's yeah. possible. But you know, to be brutally honest, I don't think Michael would have wasted his time yeah. even yeah. mentioning them. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, look, you know. I, I I feel sorry for Noel. <laughs> well, now, yeah. Yeah. Now. Look, if it if it makes anything uh, slightly more palatable, X many years later, Noel, um, when he was in Sydney supporting you two about eighteen months ago, was interviewed and was asked about, it, and he said, "Look, I regretted it the night I said it, and I think I've regretted it every night since." And one of his EPs he put out, um, he highlighted that he loved in excess. He loved you two, and he loved the eighties and nineties when you could turn on top of the pops and you'd see real bands and blah yeah. blah blah. But they were sort of up their uh, butts in a certain way back in that era. And yeah, we all knew it hurt Michael, which is um, probably the, the sad thing, really. You know, yeah, that's right, exactly. And I feel, I feel, I feel bad for everyone about that. But at the end of the day, it was yeah, well, it was Nick like, Egan, oh. yeah, Nick Egan said well, something quite they were quite, flying on stuff and they were drinking. Nick Egan and that said was something quite, that's quite right. good as well. Nick actually went on to produce an Oasis video about seven or eight years later in, um, actually only about five years later in Canada for one of their songs. Yeah. Liam, who didn't say, said he went up to Nick particularly and said, all right, mate, he, oh, yeah. he, was, he was your mate. That, that's fucking out of order. He was your mate. I'm fucking sorry about that. I'm really, really sorry that got said. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. my best Mancunian accent. But, um, but Nick, was, <laughs> Nick was quite stressing about that. And, look, everything, you know, has its time and place, but at least there was some sort of redemption about the whole thing, you know? Mm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, getting back to instruments and playing on stage with the other guys, I, I did get one person, uh, patron, mention about your choice. I think Fender Telecasters, that's what you generally used a lot in the studio, I think. Well, one, one in particular, and yep. a Tokai Telecaster. Yep. Ooh, which yeah. Which Niall Rogers put me onto Tokai guitars. Yeah. Um, because I said to him, like, how did you, how do you get that sound? And well, there's a lot of ways he got it, but like, and we talked about Let's Dance and, and he said, look, right now I'm loving this Tokai Strat. And um, and he bought it out and he said that. And the thing about Tokai was they actually made these amazing copies of really old Fenders. Um, and they would write right down to the, the – they'd buy the aged wood and they'd copy, like, with incredible, like, accuracy – the, the the vintage the vintage guitars like right down to even the wire the pickups were wounding mm. was old um, so they went to extraordinary lengths to copy these guitars and they just sounded really good because they were like brand new like 1958 Stratocaster mm. you know which mm. wow. um, which is a pretty um, amazing thing to be able to get you know mm. and so he he set me up with and he said because we happened to be going to Japan after, well, somewhere between finishing the record because then we went to England to make the rest of 
the swing, swing with yeah, Lone. Yeah. And and then we went to Japan to make the videos yeah, and yeah. to do some promotion and stuff yeah. like that, maybe some television, whatever. And um and then waiting at the airport for me when we got to Japan was this guy from Tokai. And we we had sorry, they set me up they gave me like, I don't know, a hundred guitars. Um, <laughs> I don't even know where most of them are now. A lot of them, a lot of them were pilfered from me. Is that is that is that one of those sort of moments where you sort of like look at the camera and go, "How good is this?" Like, I've, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, now, I'm now making it. <laughs> I look at the customs guy and go, "How good is this?" <laughs> and coming home, you know, like yeah. fifty guitars. We're just hoping there wasn't anything stashed inside them. Too. Yeah, oh, <laughs> accidentally. Well, McCartney uh, got in trouble in Tokyo, I think, from years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, for sure. Well, I don't know how I didn't get in trouble coming home. Sometimes I tell you, because there were things in my luggage that shouldn't have been there. But, yeah. <laughs> Hello, Argentina. I think that might have happened to me a few times. No, I didn't. <laughs> yeah. but, but, you know, the, the, the really cool thing about that was was that the, I fell in love with the Taubo guitar, which I used a lot on stage. I had a gold one uh, and I had a white one, but the white all came off and then it just I got my roadie to strip it right back to bare aluminium and that's the one I'm using in at Wembley. Wow. And that guitar it was someone stolen it from me back here in Sydney somewhere. I think hmm. um, I have an idea, maybe I know who, but oh. um, well, but that then brings that. me on to a question. Yeah. <laughs> I, like, I like how you bring out these questions. Where is it? That question, okay. Uh, one from Mandy your, your favorite memory of Wembley? That's quite hard to say, actually, for me. My favorite memory of Wembley, Wembley, is. Wembley. <laughs> um, uh, gee. <laughs> probably not those little white things no no they, they, they're probably responsible for what <laughs> i don't remember the situation yeah oh you know just being on stage with the boys um just the the, the whole thing was just good fun um i bet you know, going out on stage i have a lot of strong memories of it especially how packed the dressing was. room was with oh. people after it was crazy something that Something that uh, got reminded to us the other day, and again, being I've spoken about this a bit, is that I think Mark opens when we went back to Sydney and saw some of the footage and played it to, I think he said he played it to you guys, maybe it was Andrew or something, but just the footage of New Sensation with the crowd waving back yeah. and forth. Um, well, seeing uh, that yeah, on the stage was pretty yeah. awesome. It was like a tsunami of people. And the other one is the riff, obviously played the riff, bloody t- Timmy, you know, on uh, what oh, you yeah. did. But that footage of you is still, to me, that spine-tingling moment of the gig because that's a song that is fantastic on record, but, boy, does that riff part absolutely translate well live. Yeah, yeah, we always love that part. Yeah. I'd always... Come in with it at different times too. That was yeah, kind of like yeah. It was fun. never. You, yeah. I, I saw you play plenty, plenty of venues. <laughs> we'll right. do it on another podcast. I think I saw you at a at a a sort of a private gig at Century Cove back in two thousand and three, and I had a table. And really? I think I think I, think I had my hand up playing Kiss the Dirt. I think. Pardon. The cricketers were there. The they were. They were. Um, I think uh, Stewie Law was there and I think Simon Black from the Brisbane Lions was there and we all met at them after the gig and things and my girlfriend at the time bailed you up for about 30 minutes and didn't come and get me so I, I dumped it for that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, no, no, not really. But uh, yeah, that, that, I remember that gig but, you know, you, you um, yeah, I think. What you need, uh, Riff. Yeah, the What You Need Riff, it was just just magic and you did yeah. play different versions of that throughout the, I did. You know, the, the whole journey, I guess. Yeah, and there's different ways of playing the riff too. Um, which yeah. I've dabbled in 
But yeah, I mean, even the Olympics is a different version with John Stevens. There. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, it would have been. How but, about the Jesus T-shirt? Oh yeah, you wanted uh, to ask about that. Well, didn't that you? was funny that because we we sound checked the day before the gig, and and it was like everyone was like, "What are you going to wear?" <laughs> and was like, "Oh, I might wear this." And Kirk's like, "Okay, I'll wear a red jacket too." And and Michael and I were like, "Well, we got these pants from I think Morrissey and Edmiston yep. made them." Um, and I I wasn't sure what shirt I was going to wear, and I I sort of had this thing about Jesus, the the man, the myth, or whatever, and um, how you know he was the ultimate and kind of like positive thinking and mm. and 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 trying to get people to to have respect for each other and and you know preach love and all that sort of thing. So I thought he was a pretty top bloke, you know, and it came down to like me thinking like, well, he was such a good guy, I reckon, that maybe he deserves a t shirt, you know? Mm. Never seen a Jesus t shirt, you know, and what but what are, you know, other than religious ones. Yeah. So so I thought where can I get a Jesus T-shirt? <laughs> so, you know, I hopped on the yellow pages and didn't have much luck finding any Jesus T-shirts there because I don't think there was Google back then. No. Um, <laughs> and and so I, I thought, well, I rang some place and asked them if they could make me some Jesus T-shirts, like, in a hurry. And, <laughs> and they said, sure. So they made me like a dozen. And oh. and I just found them when we, when we sold the farm just recently and, was packing up. I found a two or three still there. They Fantastic. Do they fit? Yeah. <laughs> my, I, I reckon I they'll fit me. They, I don't think they even fit my, my grandson. You know? <laughs> well, that, that I, I was told that it was something to do with the Jesus Jones tour. So it's nothing to do with them at all. Absolutely nothing to do with them whatsoever. Yeah. So that's that's um, another myth bag. busted. Yeah. <laughs> but I did like Jesus Jones, but no, they had nothing to do with them. And they had a sound that seemed to sort of, you know, have that dance uh, fusion rock thing going. And yeah, um, you they, know, they opened for us at a few places. And one one time that I remember most of all is when we were on the Queen tour, and we we knit back to the US. We were, we were doing stadium shows in the UK and Europe with Queen, and um, we got offered this huge gig called the Milwaukee Summerfest. And so that meant we had to um, leave the Queen tour. Just the, the record company in the States, Atlantic Records, paid for us to fly out Concord back to the US uh, to do this one show and then back to the UK so we wouldn't be missed on the, um, on the Queen tour and we wouldn't, we wouldn't be too phased out from all the travel to keep playing. And as it, so we got on the Concord, blah, 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 long story, but... We were dressed, Jesus Jones were on stage playing at the Milwaukee Summerfest and this they just finished when this incredible storm happened and lightning was hitting the lighting towers and it was outdoors and there was like 30,000 people and they were Getting electric all jamming, ready for us to come on stage. We are all dressed and ready and all of a sudden the tour manager's in there going, we got to get out of here. And we're like, <laughs> what? Why? Why? You know, and they're like, there's this storm, man, it's... The, the audience are running away, you know. Right. So that was so we went out the dressing room, and the, the the gig was flooded to the point where water was getting in the limos as we were trying to get inside. Wow. And we just bailed, and so we never played the gig. Oh. We got we got back in the the limousines, 
back to Chicago, spent the night there, then flew Chicago, New York, back on the Concorde, back to London, and then we caught uh, a flight from London Heathrow to I think it was Newcastle and got there and we were for the next stadium show with Queen and uh, and the funny part of this, you might have heard this before, but um, Status Quo were also on that that bill and they were on after us before Queen and and our equipment didn't didn't make it. They got there was some accident on the freeway. Oh, so the, so we were, we were that next thing. Our tour managers coming into the dressing room. Here we are, dressed, ready to go on stage before Queen and status quo at the stadium. And the tour managers come in and said, "Guess what? Your tour isn't your, your show's off tonight too because the, the equipment, <laughs> the back line didn't make it." From oh, it's a quick turnaround we with all like, those oh, flights, like, isn't it? This, yeah. this sucks. So we missed two shows. And um, they're one of the only shows, there's one other show we missed. That's another story. Um, and um, and the funniest thing of all is, uh, the, I can't remember his name, is Rick, yeah, Rick from Status Quo came into the dressing room and he's like, uh, you guys, that was that was the best fucking show I've ever seen. Aww. And he goes, you guys rock. It was so good. That's and I'm good. saying they're like, Pretty pissing much, in my pocket, my shirt off, and getting you know, that wasn't even wet with sweat or anything. And I'm going, Really, yeah. <laughs> hey, idiot, we didn't play. <laughs> you should have just said to him, Hey, Rick, the prices are down, prices are down. Yeah, <laughs> the cold yeah, stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, your eyesight and hearing's down. Stop yeah, <laughs> but speak, speaking of flights, the uh, Mark Opitz last week said he did enjoy the uh, the X tour where he was out, you were able to play in Philly. Not have to stay in Philly or Pittsburgh and then fly back to New York to the Plaza Suites. Yeah, oh, well, actually, <laughs> on the same night. <laughs> yeah, the, that was back when um, Ivana Trump owned it. The Plaza right. it was the Plaza Hotel. Ah, uh, yeah, it was yeah, very, very big deal staying there. Yeah. Let alone for like I don't know how many weeks we were there. Had a floor but, or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we just about had a floor to ourselves, and it was amazing. <clears throat> Met long story about the chef there too, but he became a really good mate. He was. Kind of her toy boy, and he became he he, he passed away recently, but Kerry oh. Simons. But um, I met him there and introduced him to the rest of the guys, and we all ate in the kitchen at the plaza, which was his big thing. Yeah, and he'd get us all to fill in this coloring in book with uh, along with other legends that had eaten in the kitchen, in the kitchen, Kerry's kitchen. And uh, there was the, we saw the Rolling Stones pages, and they looked like children's drawings and paintings. <laughs> It was really cool, and there was all kinds yeah. of people in there. That's awesome. Um, but yeah, staying there and and sort of literally getting on a private jet, and we, we we just stayed in New York, and anything that was within an hour of New York, yeah. we would fly to, which is almost half the country. So yeah. it was it was an amazing way to. to Can tour. I put a list, listener's question into this? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. There was somebody. No, I've got to find their names though. And they asked, um, "What was your favourite city, and what was your least favourite city?" Something about Milwaukee comes to mind. Something uh, happened there twice. Well, that would be missing a show. I think no. I think Michael hurt his leg or something. Maybe. Yeah, that's possible. He was seemed to always be hurting his leg. Was yeah, it? Bouncing around, around jumping with those into the state, yeah. Gangly legs. Gangly um, legs. Supporting the Queen tour with that first bit, you know, and then going back and really with, I think, with X and Welcome or whatever, there, you really conquered England. And, you know, I mean, 
the press over yeah. there, they they treat us Aussies as convicts and they were very begrudging. You know, if you had a UK passport on your thing, you would have been given much more sort of kudos in the 80s. But it must have been satisfying um, because the Queen yeah. fans weren't that great to in excess, I don't think, at the time. I think Queen were great to you, but I don't know if the Queen fans were. No, they were, well, Queen fans were rabid Queen fans. But yeah. they were much better in Europe. But in the yeah. UK, it was a different story. But so, yeah, um, it, it was tough, but but still fun. I mean, and, and in many ways, you know, it was good for us to, because we were, at the time, we were so big in the US that to come back, was, it brought us back down to earth again in the UK. Yeah. yeah. To have to go on before Queen. Yeah. You know, when we were headlining much bigger or as bigger shows ourselves in the US and coming back to the UK and opening for Queen was like, but at the same time, it was, yeah. it was Queen and they kind of had a, a bit of a re, you know, they weren't big in America. No. Oh, they'd, they'd been sort of uh, chewed out and spat out by that time. Yeah, they'd be lucky to fill a, you know, a college. But this is where Chris yeah. Murphy, you know, rest in peace, was so good at, you know, uh, sensing the optics. You know, in Australia, it's like, well, you know, in excess of bigger than Bowie in the 80s. You know, yeah. let's not support him. Uh, but in UK, let's support Queen. But in America, let's not support the Stones on the Steel's Wheels Tour. Yeah, like, I think right. I think let's in excess of climbed above the Stones. Let's be well, respectful. Right. Well, actually, it's funny you mentioned that about the Bowie show. We actually agreed to play with him at Sydney Crew Ground, but uh, on the condition that it was a, a secret and a surprise. And right. then when he landed here in Sydney from, from ironically from Japan, he said. Uh, look, I'm really excited about the show, and it's great that NXS are going to be playing. <laughs> oh, so we just oh. went, well, you know what? Oh, Actually, we're not. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> we're not yeah. okay. Yeah. Well, Chris said, you know, because that was the whole deal. We were about to sell, put our own shows um, tickets out for sale. Yeah. So, and it was that post swing sort of year, well, the swing yeah. era where you'd really just absolutely climbed here mm. after Shabu, you know? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And we, like, the, we did that big. Uh, show down in the Shires, yeah. Um, you know the big the festivals and things yeah, and stuff. Yeah, all that. So it was important to us that that you know we were taken for our American and Sydney. You know we were we were excited about doing the Sydney shows. We didn't want people to just see us at Bo- the Bowie show and think, well, that's that, and then yeah. come and see our show. Thank you guys for having me. You're welcome. Ciao, and ciao. Please come back again. I will. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, this is David from Derby. Hi, this is Katie from England. G'day, it's Paul from Sydney. Hi, this is Ella from the Netherlands. This is Dr. Jim and that's a wrap. Well, B, how was that? <gasps> a dream. An absolute <laughs> dream come true. How lucky are we? Yeah, absolutely. You know, hey, there's thousands and thousands of InXS fans and there's thousands and thousands of people that can do podcasts, I know, but we've done these podcasts for this time to go and get, like, InXS on with us, and I'm just so proud of us at right now. 
Absolutely. And look, uh, obviously part one, they're hearing from Tim. I think, uh, I know next week we've got uh, sort of the second edition to come. And uh, thank you for all the uh, the uh, patrons and people who sent in really good questions. And some of you may have had your uh, questions asked today and some will have your questions asked next week. We probably have done more than four though, haven't we, Pete? Oh, a little bit more. <laughs> I tried to crunch some in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, we're really pumped about that. And as I said, part two of Timmy next week because we've got so much extra stuff to, to share with you. But I think part one there, B, was uh, pretty exciting. Yeah, I think I was smiling like a Cheshire cat all the way yeah. through that. <laughs> um, also, too, a couple of things just to remind people we're only two weeks away from Wembley, uh, and that is the 30th year anniversary. And uh, as I said, we were sort of touching upon that with Tim about Wembley, which is, which is exciting. So we do have uh, Cameron Adams, Nick Egan, and Mark Opitz who uh, two of those three were at the concert there uh, at the time. We're going to do our reminiscing episode there as well. So uh, that's pretty exciting in uh, two weeks' time. So after the next Timmy one, uh, we'll have Wembley. So going from strength to strength with uh, with some guests there, B. It's great, isn't it? And I've got another one up my sleeve. All right. Well, a little bit about fan engagement. I guess, as I said, there's been quite a lot of questions and things coming sort of through there. Uh, we did obviously want to sort of, you know, highlight some of the, the general sort of fan stuff over the last week. B, have you got any fan engagement stuff you want to share? Yeah, I do, actually. I'd like to give a big shout out to our one and only Katie Cooper. Your sister's been in touch, Katie, um, for your birthday. Your big sister, Sarah, she would like to say um, that um, that um, Katie has been a patron and avid listener of the podcast. And as a child, they spent several years living in Brighton and Vermont, South Victoria. So our love of Australia is still with us. Love, Sarah from Warwick, England. That's nice. Well, there's one guy in particular from the Isle of Mull. Do you remember him that we wanted yeah. to talk about? That we Not mentioned the Mile of Kintar, but the Not Isle the of Mull. The Isle of Mull. He's actually from Brummyland, right. my homeland, Birmingham, uh-huh. originally. And now he lives on the Isle of Mull. And he found me via Twitter. Well, found us via Twitter, but messaged me via Twitter. And um, he sent me this amazing story, amazing story that I really want to share with everybody. So... He's inspired me to start a page on our website and we'll have it as, um, if, as, as fan stories. So if any of you out there have got stories to share, email them to us at inxsaaa at gmail.com. And um, I'm going to start posting them there. But this is an incredible story. Uh, not so much incredible, but just so well written and mm. really lovely. So mm. thank you, Andrew. Andrew. <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah, what was you going to say? Can we read it out at all next week, maybe, or whatever? There would he like us to do that, or is he? Is it more of a private one? No, it's not private. It's okay. quite long, though. It's over okay. nine ca- chapters. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's quite right. a long story, but it's really, really good. So right. I'm going to okay. pop, pop it onto the website. Okay. So bear Excellent. with me. I've got to make a whole page for this one. Excellent. <laughs> That's Excellent. engagement 101. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, in light of Timmy coming on today, we thought we'd do a little bit of a tribute recognition song uh, for Timmy. And uh, this is a song I don't think we've actually played it all in full on our podcast before. Um, It was probably the first sort of major songwriting uh, contribution by Tim in the early days of In Excess. Uh, And it was, uh, I guess, a song that showed up on Shabu Shabar 
uh, titled Spy of Love, which uh, I think Tim and uh, maybe Michael and well, maybe one more person I think had a hand in writing. Um, but uh, it was a film clip for this particular one. And I know it's a little bit of a, a band favourite of that era that they used to play quite uh, regularly. So we thought out of a little bit of homage to Tim today, we would put uh, this week's tribute song, Spy of Love. Uh, it's a big goodbye from me. And it's a big goodbye from B. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye.